this is where data visualization becomes information design. It's important to get it right because your end users to love what they see and to have a good experience and to make high quality decisions quickly. So something like this executed well can make a big difference to somebody's day-to-day -day life. Hello everyone, this is Cookies and Code Season 2 Episode 3 and I am your host Stefanos Korakas. Cookies and Code is a podcast that is all about sharing the knowledge and the stories within the enterprise software community and also showcasing some of the amazing people that are part of it as well. So in today's episode we are talking about data visualization or as I learned the more official term is information design. So basically the science of visualizing dashboards and reports in a way that helps the end users get to the insights that they're looking for as quickly and effectively as possible. And it's something that I'm very excited about because I had to do that several times in my career and I have a feeling that I have a lot to learn. So to help me with that, I have asked Josh Harris to join me. Josh is an architect and a design enthusiast that works with Datorama, our marketing intelligence software, and he's a true, true expert on the topic of today. So without further ado, Josh, over to you, and I would love to ask you to do a quick introduction for us. Thank you, uh, Stefanos. It's good to be here. Yeah, so firstly, um, for context, I'm from New Zealand, so uh, apologies to any of your listeners who struggle with the accent, uh, but I'll try my best. <laughs> uh, so yeah, on my background um, regarding tech, so I, I didn't really have much of an idea of what I wanted to do after leaving high school. So I uh, went on to study arts at uni, uh, majoring in drama and media studies, which is a bit different. Wow. Uh, so I loved it and I don't regret doing it because it taught me so much. But like most art students, um, I hoped I would know what I wanted to do by the time I left. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't, and arts is not very job-shaped, so simply on the recommendation of a friend, I um, ended up working in banking, customer service, and the context sector. Um, now, policy and procedures in that environment, of course, are very strict. Uh, nevertheless, the office environment gave me the chance to explore my techie side a bit more and discover a love for designing solutions for people. Um, so practically, uh, as a lot of people do, that came in the form of mastering Excel and creating a few Visual Basic applications with it for the team. So I was going to say this is, uh, yeah, it sounds like the kind of environment or the kind of work that you're expected to do when you start, start your job in the banking sector. Uh, so I'm, it's, it, I'm looking forward to see where this is going. But yeah, please go on. Sorry for interrupting you, Josh. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, so career-wise, uh, I couldn't really see that job going anywhere. I mean, it's it's bank customer service. So mm -hmm. I ended up leaving to studying to study marketing while uh, working part-time doing finance sales stuff. Uh, so I continued doing many of the same Excel wizardry in that job, uh, developing it further. Um, now, studying marketing was not not like a great revelation to me, but I discovered some amazing things while going through it. Uh, and got a chance to figure out my next step. Um, so then after that, I joined FCB, which is a media agency doing ad operations work. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was there that I really started to figure out who I am and what I want to do. Um, so if you talk to anyone who's done ad ops, they'll tell you that the job is horrible. And it is. Uh, but it was interesting to me because it involves so many complex operational challenges that really got the gears turning for me. Um, there were so many opportunities to dig in and put the pieces together to solve some of these challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so I did, and I loved it, and I learned a lot. So that includes things like uh, developing a semi-automated reporting system or fixing naming convention and media plan tabulation processes or automating certain difficult areas of billing. Um, eventually, we became a customer of Datarama, which is where I'm working now, uh, and I took the opportunity to set that up. So when I left to move to London, I joined Salesforce and the opportunities here to develop cool things uh, really died up to 11. Um, so my main interests here have been in developing custom visualization widgets in JavaScript, HTML and CSS and pushing forward our data visualization practice through working with colleagues and clients to reach that next level and learn things along the way. 
so yeah, here I've, I've learned so much and connected with a lot of great people. So it's been really great. Wow. Amazing. I mean, this is quite a pivot you did there from, from, uh, uh, from theater, from drama and arts to, to banking, uh, to Mart Martech and, uh, you know, to what eventually what you're doing here, which is kind of still related to, to Martech, but with a strong focus on data visualization. And this is, by the way, uh, there's one more person that has joined me for an episode that's Sarah Earnshaw. And we did an episode in the first season talking about how to align your stakeholders uh, for, for success. And she also comes from a theater background. So, and this is, again, I'm going to mm. say this, it sounds a bit cliche. I say it now in every single episode, I think, because every single episode, um, when I, when we discuss this question with uh, our guests, it blows my mind how many different backgrounds we have in our industry. Um, so kudos to you uh, for, for uh, pulling off such a, crazy journey. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, my question is, um, if, if, what, what is it that has made you stay eventually in tech and in that area? What is it that you find attractive about what you do today? Oh yeah. Um, arts is great. And I, I still love arts. Um, I, you know, I still look fondly back on that time. Um, but it's, it's not for me in terms of jobs. Um, in terms of tech, I've, I think I've always been technically minded. Um, I think it's partly a personality thing. I'm fascinated by problems with logical solutions, especially when there's an element of human interaction and interpretation mixed in with all the complexity that arises from that. Um, so for me, it started by taking after my older brother as a kid and taking IT classes at school and using university general education courses on it. And the key part is at work and in my personal life, uh, pursuing projects and solving problems that can only be done in a technical manner. Mm -hmm. um, and that bit really has been a constant thread throughout my life and my career, uh, dipping toes into tech more and more until I decided that this is what I want to do. Um, my main way of learning these things has been to fearlessly take on projects and trust that I'll be able to learn what I need to learn and straighten out the complexities and find a solution. Um, so far, it hasn't failed me. Uh, so in work, at least, um, all of that has been greatly enabled by being lucky enough to have managers that believed in me and gave me the space to uh, experiment and learn. Um and it's through that process that I was able to prove myself and earn more freedom and get into other roles. Mm -hmm. So having a tech mentor would have helped immensely, but alas, I uh, found my niche my own way. Um, so that's how I got into it. And I'm staying in it because I love it. Um, I, I, here I can work on things that uh, light my fire and speak in a common language with people who get me. Um, you know, before I went off to uni the first time to study arts, I thought maybe I should study software engineering or something, but ultimately decided against it because I thought I would burn out doing uncreative work on other people's projects that I don't care about. Yeah. Uh, looking back, I think that was too extreme, but I do still think there's some truth to it. So uh, I, I'm happy with the path that I'm on and, and the niche that I've carved out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's such a broad spectrum, but I can see, I mean, first of all, I have to tell you, Joel, your passion about the topic is coming through, right? This is uh, amazing and I can feel and I can see somehow the more you talk about it, how you have combined elements of your interests and passions and career uh, to end up doing what you do. Because in what you do, I would say there is an element of art as well. I mean, you know, to be seen, we're going to hear about this in a bit more detail. Um, but I love your approach um, to it for sure. And one thing that uh, I can relate to as well, I mean, I, you know, I, I didn't study arts, uh, not at all, but I, as I was growing up <laughs> as a kid, I was very artistic and I was uh, involved in a lot of uh, different kinds of arts. Um, I was having a lot of related hobbies. I was weirdly very much into street art. So that's something that, you know, I don't practice till today, but I always thought about, uh, you know, pursuing some kind of creative career. I didn't do it eventually because I think pragmatism took over at some point. But I think yeah. <laughs> having gone through my own journey, right, my pursuit for injecting creativity in my work is actually kind of what what has brought me in here today. So back to your point about, you know, working in tech and working in, in engineering potentially as well. 
you, you have to be lucky to be given the space that you were given as well to practice and learn and grow and kind of take directions that you prefer to take. But I think it is possible to have some sort of creative expression working in tech. Um, yeah, so that's my reflection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we are doing a podcast, right? Uh, this is your baby. <laughs> this is my baby, um, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. Indeed. <laughs> and this is, by the way, like uh, one of those things uh, that... You're, you're right. I didn't think about it in that context, but it is one of those things I had a lot of creative support from, even though this is, I've said it before, it's not a Salesforce podcast, it's independent, but uh, my peers at the company, my managers and so have been extremely supporting in uh, enabling me to do that kind of thing, which is not something that you find in every industry. I think tech may be more common than uh, other industries, but uh, for other industries, I would say it can be a challenge. All right. So... Cool, Joe. Thanks so much for uh, sharing with us about your background. And yeah, I can't wait to get into the topic and hear a bit more about what are some of the things that you have to share with us today. So my very first question, right? So we talked a bit about your career and how you got into tech and how you decided to stay in tech. Now let's get into the specific topic, right? So how did you, first of all, get into the topic of data and reporting, right? Besides, this is what you had to do for work. What is it that uh, made you navigate towards that area and specifically the area of visualization? Yeah, so I've I've always had an interest in uh, design and effective communication, and that mostly came across uh, in the old days in, uh, in writing or presentations or the user experience of my janky Excel applications. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I was doing my uh, master's in marketing for our final project, we produced a big, long written report for a real-world consultancy thing we were placed on. Okay. Um, so in, in preparation for that over the summer, I was looking for inspiration on really well laid out theses produced with the LaTeX typesetting system. Um, so because this is going to be long with loads of sections and subsections and references and inline charts and images, uh, I, I wanted to I wanted to do it right, but I didn't know anything about book design. Um, so in that search, I came across a, a lot of really wonderful things, but one that I can say was like a lightning bolt, um, absolutely changed my life, was Edward Tufte's book, Beautiful Evidence. So I immediately checked it out of the library and downloaded it in about three days. Um, so Beautiful Evidence is about the art and science of information design. It's about how to effectively present and consume evidence in whatever form it takes, words, numbers, images, diagrams, still or moving. And the intellectual tasks for both presenter and consumer are to understand and to reason about that evidence. Mm. So information design for me is about easing the flow of information from presenter to consumer as much as possible. Uh, so information design is really where my passion lies, and it's about much more than just data visualization, but data viz is a big part of it. Okay. Um, so from there, when I joined um, FCB, the media agency, I found so many opportunities to exercise those skills, um, especially in ad ops where so much of what you do is reporting. So I got a lot of practice in upgrading uh, your crappy old Excel templates. Uh and another thing we had at the time was uh, various reporting automation initiatives. Um, at the time, it was running on Tableau and an on-site database. So Tableau was awesome to get into. I, I really loved how it's designed to stick so closely to good data visualization practice. Um, you can use it to do horrible things, of course, but it makes it easy to do things right. <laughs> right. Uh, then after joining Salesforce and uh, having already been exposed to Datarama, I knew that there were some big opportunities to do things better. So I've developed many custom widgets since then, um, always with the intention of being easy to set up and dynamic and flexible to use and solving for use cases that our native widget library can't. Um, and then I've also been working hard to raise the bar on how best to use our visualization capabilities. So my latest project for the last six months or so has been putting together an advanced visualization training course for Datarama, um, which by the time this is out should hopefully be ready to go. Uh, 
So yeah, overall, to get into it, I just let my interest guide me um, and taken me down this path of years of study and practice. And it's been really fun so far. Yeah. I mean, listening to it as well, it sounds like, so the title of the book you shared was Beautiful Evidence, right? Yeah. Yeah. What a nice title, by the way. And it sounds like this was kind of a pivotal point, right? So, and it's funny how it sounds like the, the way you started your journey there happened almost by accident, as you mentioned, and how this book... Um, picked your interest in it to the extent that you started, it, it kind of became your trail after that to the, to all the way to where you are today. So very cool to hear. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny thinking back about the, the value of what I did studying marketing, because I don't use much of it today, but if I didn't do it, then I wouldn't have discovered that and I wouldn't have ended up on this journey. So who knows, you know, <laughs> these <laughs> things happen. You, you can only really connect the dots backwards, right? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. All right. So then the next point uh, is, uh, and maybe that's something for, I don't know if anybody else who may be listening to this wonders that, but you know, like I mentioned before, I've, I've done a number of reports uh, in, in uh, my time, uh, you know, and uh, I'm st I still do from time to time. I need to produce uh, quite some reports. And um, when, when there is discussion around it, especially when I have to produce something and deliver to somebody, the discussion is, not quite as much on the visualization aspect, but a lot more around the numbers and the data and the credibility of the data and so on. So uh, why is visualization an important element to look into uh, more strictly, so to speak? And has, is it something that is a new trend or has it always been like that? Well, th those discussions that you mentioned having are actually really important to have. And I think if you're having those discussions, then it shows that people understand the numbers, which is the important part. Um, so like I mentioned before, for me, visualization is all about easing the flow of information from presenter to consumer. Um, it's a pretty well-studied concept that if you show one group of people a dumb table of numbers and another group that same data visualized effectively, you'll find information comprehension and retention so much worse among the group that was shown the table. Mm -hmm. So specifically in Datarama, you can actually bring this to life uh, because every widget has a, a table view hidden in its little drop-down menu where you can bring up the exact table of data that went into the chart you can see for you. Um, and so even for widgets without a huge data set, the difference in comprehension and understanding of information is really stark between the two. Um, now that's where I would end my answer if we were just talking about individual visualizations. But uh, as we know, things are so much more complex than that these days. So on a dashboard, you'll have uh, many visualization widgets. And then on top of that, you'll have interactive elements like filters, uh, text boxes like headings or commentary, um, little bits of architecture like section dividers or headers and footers. And you're going to have to take into account things like uh, how should the information or the story flow be organized or how should each widget compete for space or how should your text be styled to make clear a hierarchy of headings or how will you make clear the scope of influence for your interactive elements and if you're not the end user, how do you know that you're meeting their needs and not slowing them down with a bunch of stuff that's irrelevant for their use case? Mm -hmm. Now, this is where data visualization becomes information design. And it's actually got a really steep learning curve that's very easy to underestimate. Um, so it's important because to uh, it's important to get it right because your you want your end users to love what they see and to have a good experience and to get the information they need and to make high quality decisions quickly. Um, so something like this executed well can make a big difference to somebody's day-to-day -day life. Okay. I mean, first of all, uh, the first thought that comes to mind when I hear you speak about this, choice is I understand why, um, why you use the term information design. Uh, because the the way you describe the, the thought and the structure that goes into this really reminds me of conversations I, I, I would have with um, uh, with um, a print or web designers uh, when we're talking. Uh, some of my earlier marketing jobs, right, I would interact a lot with web designers and so on, and they would very much think about the same things that we're describing right now when it comes to structuring dashboards and so on. Um, mm. So... Yeah, and, and that's basically what it is. Like, um, it's especially like 
a lot of the dashboards to software today is based on the web. And so you're, you're putting a website together that people can interact with and read and get information from. So yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, of, of course it's a big deal. And I get your point as well, that, you know, it's not like then uh, about the, uh, maybe sometimes when we think about also reporting and you, you can think about this uh, flat table of numbers and so on. But as you said, it's, it's a, a lot of, different sources of data usually and information and a lot of them combine into a single dashboard that intending to bring everything together in one place. I mean, we at, at the, our company, we talk a lot about that and the power of having everything in one place and through other uh, companies that offer that kind of capability um, talk about the same thing. So the more you try to cramp into one place, the more important, I guess, it becomes for the end user to make sure that they can easily get to the to the insights that they can generate out of all of these uh, data, but also as you, as you shared the flexibility to be able to kind of navigate through that journey in a way that makes more sense for them, depending on what your your role is and what you're looking for. Is that, is that a fair uh, summary? Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the the key point is that flow of information, um, and there's there's a difference between data and information, right? If mm -hmm. if the data is the table of numbers, the information is the um, is the understanding that you need to get out of it, um, and to to communicate that, it needs to be visualized. All right. Hello there. I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Cookies and Code. If you have benefited in any way from the knowledge of the guests on this podcast. I'd like you to ask for one small favor that would only require a couple of minutes of your time. This podcast is a project born out of passion to share the knowledge and the stories hidden within our community. By leaving a review on the platform that you're listening to, you will greatly increase the chances of it being found by others like you. This is one small action that will allow me to continue to grow and improve this podcast more than you realize. So thank you for being a listener first and foremost, but also for helping me increase our impact. Now, let's get back to the chat. Now we're going to tap into your expertise, and I know you said you're you're going to be putting together uh, something that um, w you know we would be offering through a company to customers. But uh, maybe I don't know if that is a sneak preview of what's going to be part of that. <laughs> uh, but I have to say I'm very very keen to hear what are some of the key principles um, that you follow when you would develop a dashboard like what you described, and something that people who be who are doing that job should keep in mind. Yeah. So. Um it, 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 yeah, but a lot of the stuff I'm going to talk th through is is part of that, and yeah. So this is, this is sort of in about the order that you should do these things. So um, for key principles, the the first one, which is I think the most important, is to understand the end user and questions that they need to answer and their use cases. Um, so this is a really important step um, because by doing that, you can avoid the kind of data dump pages that I see all over the place. <laughs> I, um, know, I know those. So, yeah. So if a page creator doesn't know what the end user needs to do with the data, they'll often default to showing everything in, in giant dump tables. And if they don't know what the KPIs are, then just show every related metric regardless of its actual importance. Um, so good dashboards are often the result of really strong focus and understanding the user's needs is a really important starting point. The next bit that I recommend is to thoroughly investigate the data and make a plan for what you'll do with it and how it fits into the end user's use case. Um, that plan should include the flow of the questions you'll answer, your page layout, the number and styles of headings that you'll need, and the color palette that you'll use. So having this plan is really important because if you just start putting things onto a page, then it's easy to end up uh, focusing too much on the details and losing sight of the overall message. Uh, so that can result in disjointed and unclear pages that jump from one point to the next. Can Can I ask a question on this? Like, when you start with that plan, is it something that you start working on actually on the platform or on some type of platform or is it something that you really try to think of and sketch out on paper for example or in some other way like what would you advise somebody that would get into that oh yeah i, I sketch it out on paper yeah i just I, I do a list of things and the questions that i want to answer and then i just sort of sort of sketch out an overall um 
structure for how I want things to be set up and laid out. Yeah, it's just it's fast and easy and flexible, and there's 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 no technology quite like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, it's it, the reason why I'm asking this is because yeah, I mean, this may be a trap I fall to myself sometimes. It's kind of a similar principle I've heard about how you craft, for example, um, uh, storylines and so on when when you're working on a big presentation or something like this. Um, and I guess it's often when you start straight into the platform, you can you can very quickly get distracted um, with uh, all mm. the different options and some of the details you have to think through before you actually think about the big picture. So that's why I wanted to clarify these and sounds like yeah. similar if, approach. If I'm, yeah, if I'm building something myself and I make the mistake of doing that, I always end up having to take a step back and, and write things down and, and work out plan because, yeah, you just get lost so easily. Yeah, I can imagine. Okay, cool. So then the first point you mentioned, uh, just to recap, and then we can continue, was the uh, thinking about the user and the kind of information they should be able to get out of these, the kind of questions they are called to ask. The second point was once you have the first part, try to start thinking kind of the big picture, the architecture and structure of the flow of, of the mm. what you're going to work on. So what would be the yeah. next one? So... Yeah, those those first two points are the most important, and that's because it's it's so important to get the foundation right. Um, good data visualization can't rescue a terribly laid out page that was created with no real knowledge of the user's needs. Uh, in fact, the basics of data visualization haven't changed much in hundreds of years. So. I would much rather use a thoughtfully constructed page with basic charts than one that was thrown together and has a bunch of, you know, fancy things going on with it. Um, and, and, you know, even that's assuming that good data visualization can coexist with not knowing the user's needs, which isn't true. It's, you know, if you don't know what the, the end user needs, it's severely limiting. And that, that's why we end up with big dumb tables. So this process of discovery and planning and construction is the most important thing that you can put your time into. Um, and you've you've got to test and iterate and take a break and try again until it feels right. Um, so then to that, when it comes to, uh, you know, you've put the page together and you're doing the visualization, um, I often think back to one of uh, Tufti's quotes that summarizes his principles really well. He says that graphical elegance often comes from simplicity of design and complexity of data. Uh, and I love it because it uh, really simply expresses the theory of great data visualization that can take a really long time to explain. Uh, things like maximizing the data ink ratio, minimizing chart junk, making use of multiple viewing depths for multi-function multi graphical elements, uh, adding in data in a non-intrusive way to create high-resolution data graphics, and adhering to the basics of aesthetics and technique. Um, properly observed, things can move these things can move data visualizations from an acceptable default to a whole new level of clarity. Um, but again, like I said, uh, great visualization cannot rescue a, a hastily thrown together page. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Now, people who are familiar with the theory of good graphical practice often push to make things pretty or think that looking good and using branded colors is all it's really about. So far in our chat, I haven't once mentioned anything to do with making attractive charts, and that's because you really don't need to. In Beautiful Evidence, Tufti includes this quote at the start from Eric Gill, who says that if you look after truth and goodness, beauty will look after herself. Uh, now, I've, tr I've found that's true over and over again. Um, all you need to do is focus on making something useful for the end user. Um, Another book I love, uh, Trees, Maps, and Theorems by Jean-Luc Dumont, includes this uh, wonderful quote from Oscar Wilde, and he says, uh, I've found that all ugly things are made by those who strive to make something beautiful, and all beautiful things are made by those who strive to make something useful. And that's absolutely true. I've seen loads of awful dashboard pages where you can tell the creator has tried primarily to make it pretty and align with a brand. Uh, and it just never works. <laughs> I mean, this is a so such a good advice, and you know, it it comes across again when we 
and uh, in so many practices, basically, right? So when we think about, for example, design thinking, and and it's it's very much around this as well. Like when, the area that you should be focusing on the most, and um, you need to make sure you have nailed before moving on into any of the next steps. Is really understanding the problem you're trying to solve, and uh, and when I say the problem, I mean the underlying problem, right? Really, the the root cause, the foundation of not, what needs to be addressed. And it sounds like you're saying the same thing, unless you've really figured out the desire, the necessity of the user that's going to be using this. Kind of, this is your strong focus. Then everything else is secondary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll, we'll get into a few examples of that later, uh, mm -hmm. probably as well. <laughs> so could you maybe share what are some of the best practices that you have seen in practice and also some of the worst practices as well from, from different companies that you've worked with or that you've seen elsewhere as well? Sure. Yeah. So, um, and it, you know, we, we've gone over this point a few times, but yeah, the, the best that I've seen has really always come from people having a really good understanding of the end user. So most often that's because they're actually making something for themselves or a close internal colleague or a team where they can get candid feedback and understand the problem really well. Um, so in in my job at, at Datarama, I'm working with agencies. And so it seems like maybe th the problems that I'm seeing are coming from my clients, not talking enough to their clients. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so the, these great examples that I've seen, they don't always look amazing. Um, in fact, the best examples that come to mind when you ask this question are those where the use cases are really simple but require a complex operation behind the scenes. So the end result on your dashboard might just be one single widget on a page, but when you see it, you immediately know that this is incredibly useful for someone and it's letting them do something new or freeing up hours of their time. Uh, and that's what the truth looks like, right? So... Um, I've got two examples of this. One um, was a client who uh, has brought in, and they would they, they they brought in all the data for their employee timesheets and their client bookings and some forecasted bookings. Um, and keep in mind, this is a, a media agency, mm. um, and the, and they were using all of that to do a financial forecast of how the agency would be doing in so many months or um, how far out they wanted to forecast it. Um, and and this is this is one of those examples where it's it's one widget on a page with maybe a, like a date filter or something. Um, but it's it's like a little table and it's got a few few numbers on it and some highlighting to say this is red or this is green. Um, and this is a really, really simple use case, but it, it, it enables something so powerful that um, so many businesses, I'm sure, would, would love to be able to see. Okay. So that's, that's one example. And another that I've seen is um, a case where uh, this is another simple example, a case where an agency has a lot of um, online search marketing activity. And, and and this is across many, many clients, and they can't afford the time required to be going to every client and every campaign to uh, to check and optimize and and make sure things are running well. And so by having all the data um, in one place, they're able to um, calculate their own uh, KPI of a health score. And they put it into one big table and sort it by the health score so that if they've only got time to go in and check uh, you know, six accounts or six campaigns or something for that day, then they're able to look at that page, look at the health score, see what their top six priorities should be, and sort it out. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just great. And and these are these internal use cases where people have built something for themselves or for their teams, um, where the purpose is just really really clear. 
and um, there is a complex operation behind the scenes, but the, the result is something where you can just dip into this dashboard page maybe um, a couple times a week, get the information that you need and, and go and do what you need to do. And yeah, when you see it, you know it. It's it's a it's a great great use case. Yeah, and I like in, in both of them that uh, what you stressed as well. It was really about that one thing that's the most important thing for the end uh, user to be focusing on, right? Uh, whether it's you know w- whether you run into a um, resource limitation or something based on your forecast, and that's the single question that you need to look at. And then whether it's your uh, what what where should I invest my time today? What is my top priorities? Uh, so this is in both examples. It's uh, what, what I liked about it is that it was not about a combination of different uh, graphs and charts and so on that are you know are, are, are supposed to give you um, m- multiple insights at the same time, but it was really about that one insight uh, that's relevant. Absolutely, and uh, on the flip side, the the worst I've seen. Uh, is really just the opposite of that, where people don't know what what's required and um, they don't know what the most important things are. So, and this ends up with, like like we said before, the data dump pages and um, one of the most misused visualization widgets we have in Datarama is a, it's called a status bar, but it's basically just a big number in a widget. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It shows you maybe how that's trended over time, but um, people tend to put like dozens of them just on a page. And so you see all these, all these numbers next to each other um, of just KPIs and uh, it's just horrible. Like I, I feel like KPI is a really damaged term in marketing. Um, it doesn't mean key anymore because it applies to anything. It hardly means performance because some things it applies to aren't performance related. So then it's also not really indicating anything. Um, <laughs> and so what KPI should really mean is it, we should be talking about focus. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you've got focus, then that gives you the freedom to um, to create these visualizations that rely on that, that do more effective work with fewer dimension metrics and um it lets you to focus on the numbers that really matter and and devote more of your um space and attention to exploring that the more i hear you speak now i'm realizing some of the, sometimes and maybe that's kind of the fault of the industry as well, because I mentioned at some point earlier that, you know, it's a lot about, oh yeah, let's try to bring all the data in, in one place and then you have one single view of everything and, and so on. And I feel like sometimes that's, that is misinterpreted to to the dashboards that you described as kind of the worst practice where basically um, somebody that is an administrator or, or, or somebody that's setting this up for, for a user base, right? They're, they see this as, okay, I'm going to put all of the information in one single page, which ends up with all the different numbers uh, and charts popping up right next to each other. But what I'm getting from you is actually maybe, if I understand you correctly, better to have several dashboards that each one of them is geared towards one user or user group that has a distinct use case and focus on that use case instead of striving for having this one mega dashboard that is for everybody. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. The, the the mega dashboard is a big mistake. Um, and you know, theoretically, if you if you put if you construct a page with all possible options on it, then all possible use cases are covered, and anyone can visit that page and get what they need from it. But <laughs> it, it it fails in practice because. Um, the, people are going to take much longer to find what they need. They might find something that's misleading or leads them down the wrong path because they don't understand the like how the data is um, brought in well enough. And people are just going to hate it. You know, you, you want people to be able to dip into that dashboard and um, see what they need to see, uh, make a decision, and go. Um, 
you know, ideally people should be spending as little time on your page as possible, not the most. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, you're right. It, it, it is a, it, it should be a um, user focused thing um, to, to solve for particular personas and use cases. Okay. All right. Thanks. And, and this is for, for me personal, this is also um, a new way of looking at it because although in principle, as you know, I, I, I know this is good practice uh, when it comes to the, this balance of creating that single source of information for everybody and then uh, trying to tailor it for distinct uh, personas. Um, it's, it's a balance that I, I feel I'm often getting lost to, uh, in and I'm sure a lot of others do as well. So yes, everyone listening, please keep that in mind because I feel like this is a very, very important insight. Yeah. <laughs> so um, before we wrap it up, and I know we talk about a lot, a lot of things, uh, I just wanted to maybe... Um, ask you to share some key takeaways from today's discussion. Um, so if anybody listening, uh, you, you're also as excited as I am uh, to take back the key, some key notes uh, from, uh, from today, um, listening now, because I feel that these are the highlights. So over to you, Jos. Yeah, sure. I mean, this, this is going to be really short because the, the rules are honestly so simple. Um, the, you know, first is forget about making things pretty, uh, just make things useful, um, because if you make things useful, then, um, it's, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna look good anyway. Um, when you, when you try to make things pretty, then it, um, it sort of distracts from the real work that needs to be done. Um, and then to make things useful, uh, you need to deeply understand your user and, and plan out what you're going to do to solve their problem. Um, and that comes in the form of, uh, you know, whether it's a, a call or a discovery session or whatever else you want to call it, um, you need to talk and you need to ask the questions and don't assume that you already know the answers. Um, and really, if you do those things, you'll be fine. Uh, like most visualization software these days, um, it's quite easy to use and comes with pre-built visualizations that uh, align to most good practice, I guess. Um, like if you want to put in the work to learn the uh, the principles of great visualization and uh when it comes to Datarama, learn advanced CSS to, to modify the widgets. You can do that. Uh, it takes a long time to learn those things, and the marginal benefit is small compared to what you can get from uh, getting things right from a, a user-focused perspective. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's funny when people um, you know refer to me as a, as a data visualization expert or something because it's really not about that. It's just about... Uh, you know, the, the human centered design, really. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for, for, uh, for the, for sharing that. And, uh, yeah, as you said, I think it's something we just covered so extensively today. And, uh, it, I think it's fair to say this should, should be the key takeaway from today's conversation. And it's something that I'm certain a lot of people struggle with out there and sometimes purely because they have a line to follow. Right. So, Back to some of uh, my personal worst practices have to do with, I was told this is the format you need to adhere to. And then I was trying to retrofit everything to that format as opposed oh, to yeah. challenging. Uh, yeah. What's the use no, of that format? Uh, exactly. Um, that's, that's reminds me of yet another Tufty quote where he says that the, the most dangerous words in the world are, we've always done it this way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. I've heard that one before. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So then, um, yeah, I think uh, we're almost at the end. And this uh, this has been um, such a pleasure, Josh. Thanks so much for, for um, taking the time to do this with me. Um, before we close this off, uh, one question I'd like to ask everyone. Um, you know, you've, you've led a very exciting career so far. Uh, so I'm wondering, is there any piece of advice that you received uh, at some point in your career and you have kept with you throughout. Um, if you can share that and, and if you could also share why it's important to you. It's been exciting so far and hopefully with more excitement to come. Um, it, this question is difficult for me because my career actually so far has been quite short. 
I only really started, you know, a real job, what, seven years ago or something. And then I only started in marketing four years ago. So um, I don't really have many great nuggets to share. I have something that's kind of the opposite. Uh, I, I was told by one of my bosses at my last job, um, at like a drunken work party J just before I left to move to London. He said that I care too much. Um, now I think he only said that because uh, it made me difficult to deal with as an employee sometimes, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> if in, in the case that he was serious, I think it's terrible advice. <laughs> um, you know, I wouldn't be here today talking to you if I didn't care about what I do and obsess over quality and doing the right thing. Um, you know, sometimes in non-tech circles, there's sort of a stigma against this caring or obsession. Um, and I think it's really damaging because it prevents so many people from being themselves and getting their best work done. Um, you know, at, at least now in... Uh, you know, in, in my job now and in my team, there's there's the right culture for that kind of thing. But in, in some places, it's not. Um, and to be fair, my perspective on this might be different if I had a, a spouse or children or something really grand to focus my life on. But at the same time, there are loads of really established figures who remain feverishly focused on their craft throughout their careers, despite also leading full personal lives. So maybe it's fine. Um I think obsession is good. Embrace it. Because, um, yeah, the, you know, if someone's got to do the work, and it may as well be you. <laughs> okay. Well, I really like that. And I, I like that actually you're, uh, again, for, for your own inspiration and your interpretation of um, this, as you call it, obsession uh, with, 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 the, with the visualization aspect, for example, right, came from a counter, kind of a, counter advice uh, that, that you wouldn't give to somebody uh, that that your at that time boss shared with you um and uh, they annoyed you, me yeah <laughs> yeah pr probably but you know like uh, on the flip side it made you think about that uh, and uh, maybe it made you even more determined uh, to pursue what what you've been doing so i would say it was a win and uh, I can also say that you've shared with us so many wonderful quotes today uh, from different sources. And I really admire how you have uh, been drawing inspiration um, and sounds like sometimes like almost life lessons uh, from, from all of those. So uh, I, I think it's, it's definitely something that um, I could relate to as well. So having said that, I wanted to also ask if you've shared a really good uh, um, resources as well you talked about a couple of books and so on is there any any recommendation uh for anyone that you would like to learn more about what you do yeah um a, a lot of what i've learned has come from um from books so you would have heard a lot you would have heard me you know speak a lot about edward tufty today um I've, I've been through quite a few of his books my starting point recommendation is is going to be beautiful evidence it's it's incredible um and then uh, i also enjoyed his first book which is more data visualization focused uh it's called the visual display of quantitative information um there's one that a colleague introduced me to a while ago well, in, in my last job, uh, it's called Storytelling with Data by um, Cole Knoflik, I think. Uh, that one's really good. It's sort of like uh, the visual display of quantitative information, but with a more modern take on it. Um, and I really like that, you know, just to, just to prove her point, uh, all of the images in the book she's generated with Microsoft Excel. Oh, and wow, okay. <laughs> it makes you really. I want to see that. You did, you, yeah, I didn't know that Excel could do that, but it can. <laughs> okay, you you you've got me hooked, definitely. Yeah, and then uh, another one I've really enjoyed is um, yeah, Trees, Maps, and Theorems by Jean Luc Dumont, um, which is is a little bit lesser known, but um, I really like it. I, in particular, I love this detail that he's he's put in so much effort into the layout and the typesetting that 
every paragraph in the book is perfectly rectangular with no hyphenation and no dangling lines or anything. So th that would have required a massive amount of editing, but uh, so respect <laughs> for him doing, for so, doing that. <laughs> back to your advice, I talk about obsession when it comes in this case. I'm sure that that really uh, took quite some fine-tuning. Oh yeah, that's a whole other level. I, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So cool. Then but, I think that that kind of brings us to the end. Um, so um, is there is there any final message? Anything? Uh, any anything that you would like to share? Uh, yeah. So I mean, just just a, a final note on the books. Um, I think uh, beautiful evidence is a really good place to start because it teaches you everything you need to know to. Um, weed out the good work from the bad there's a lot of bad work out there that gets a lot of praise so um i think it's a, it's a great place to start to be able to know what you're looking at um as for a final message though uh yeah tech has been great for me i i love it and um it you know of all the things that i've told you today I've hardly talked at all about the actual jobs that I've had. Uh, you know, tech can be so much more than just what you see on the job description. So if I had, through my career, stuck to the letter of my job descriptions, there's no way that I'd be uh, talking to you today. Because um, there's always op an opportunity to... Um, to explore and learn and do things. And um, yeah, I, I just really encourage people to um, explore and find what makes them tick and dig a little deeper into that and uh, see if they can make it work and, and get into it. That's how I ended up here. It may not lead all of your listeners into, into tech, uh, but if it does, then I'll be glad to say hello to them when they're here. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I, I definitely second that. Uh, I would say for me, it has been a, a big part of the reason why I started doing this podcast uh, was, uh, you know, when I entered in tech and I've shared before, I didn't start my career in tech either. I kind of started in a completely different industry. Uh, but as I entered the industry uh, and I saw the, the talent and the opportunity and all the exciting work that is happening and oftentimes not related, as you said, to the job description that you were hired for, but uh, a lot of incredibly intelligent uh, and um, often also humble people just do, doing um, incredible work, but also even more incredible side projects. Um, so this has been Josh Harris, everyone. Uh, Josh, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, it, it's been, I've said it a million times. Uh, I know it, it sounds um, um, funny maybe if I repeat it once more but I have to repeat it once more I think it's been incredibly insightful definitely for me uh, I'm sure for, for the listeners as well thank you so so much for coming over um, and uh, this is uh, Stefanos Korakas as well uh, your host for Cookies and Code and uh, yeah thank you Jos and we will see the rest of you hopefully in the next one <laughs>